How many of you caught the Grammy Awards last Sunday night? Anybody watch the Grammys? A couple. Gary. Excellent. Excellent. So I saw bits and pieces of it, kind of had it on the TV while I was playing tackle football or whatever my three-year-old wanted me to do. And, um, but one of the parts that I did see that was kind of one of my favorite parts of the night was um, Stevie Wonder was going to announce the winner of the song of the year. And so he had just sung this a cappella um, uh, song, this tribute song, uh, and he, so there was like five or six people up on stage with him. So he finishes singing, and uh, he gets the envelope out and starts to open it to announce the winner of the song of the year. And, you know, I'm kind of looking around my living room like, at what point is he going to hand the card to somebody that can read to tell us who the song of the year is, right? Because I'm like, Stevie's blind, right? So I keep waiting and waiting. And, you know, those tricky Grammy people, they just put it in Braille, you know? So Stevie kind of laughs like, ah, you can't read this and I can, you know? So it was kind of a funny moment. Uh, and you know you were thinking it too. It's not just me. But, um, so why am I talking about Stevie Wonder uh, this morning? Well, the Bible talks a lot about blindness. And sometimes physical blindness, a lot of times kind of spiritual blindness, and sometimes they're kind of woven in there together and, and you can't really know the difference. And um, we're going to take a look at two specific encounters that Jesus had with, with blind men in Mark chapters 8 and chapters 10. And we're going to look at kind of all the circumstances and conversations that were going on between those healings and around them, and then conversations that happened in between them as well, because they kind of act as kind of bookends to a couple of uh, points, I think, that Jesus is trying to make. So throughout the Gospels, uh, one of the storylines that's kind of constantly in there um, is that the disciples, again and again, miss the point. All right? They just aren't quite sure or maybe they're unwilling to grasp the true nature of Jesus' mission. And they couldn't under, seem to understand that it wasn't a journey to power like the world would have it look with titles and thrones, okay? But it was a journey to power through humility and ultimately laying down his life. And it was power through surrender, which in any era this world's ever known is countercultural and counterintuitive. It just does not make sense uh, then or now that the path to influence is through dying and that the cross and all of its gore and shame um, was victory and power in the form of apparent defeat. And I think we have a lot in common with the disciples um, as the church because as the church of Jesus Christ, we miss the point all the time. And we get lost in the weeds and we get, you know, uh, caught up in various agendas and petty issues that distract us from the bigger purposes of what God is trying to accomplish in this world. And so we're all blind in many ways. I want you to open your Bibles to Mark 8. It's page 705 if you're using a pew Bible. Mark chapter 8, <clears throat> page 705. And the section we're about to read is coming on the heels of uh, Jesus' couple of miraculous feedings of, of thousands of people, right? In a couple different stories, Jesus had a few loaves and a few fish that he miraculously multiplied and fed thousands of people 
to the point of overflowing. Uh, so kind of proving once again the point that he was sufficient, he, he was enough, that he could provide no matter what the circumstances. And then we get this conversation. So we're going to start in 14 of chapter 8. It says, The disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, Is it because we have no bread? Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you still talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see, ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? So Jesus has a way to really kind of cut to the heart, doesn't he? He's like, man, do you guys have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And I think we're all guilty of that. I mean, probably almost daily, right? We have eyes, but we fail to see, and ears, but we fail to hear. And now many scholars think that this next story that we're going to look at of healing is, is really a metaphor, or I guess it's also a metaphor for the blindness of the disciples and their lack of understanding. So let's take a look at the next scene here, starting in verse 22. It says, They came to Bethesda, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. So this was kind of a curious Story. This is the only time recorded in the Bible where it took Jesus two shots to heal somebody. Okay, it didn't take the first time. And so, what does it mean? Well, a lot of people think that it's an illustration to kind of show the disciples that sometimes our vision can can kind of only be partial at once. At in, in the beginning, that we need maybe a second touch to gain more clarity. In other words, our understanding of Jesus and what he came to accomplish in this world and in each of us is kind of a progressive understanding that sometimes it might take years and sometimes even a lifetime to completely kind of get what he's trying to do. And we see a great example of this partial clarity in the next story. If you were to continue to read, starting in verse 27, we have this very familiar interaction. I think we looked at it a couple of weeks ago with, with Jesus and, and Peter, and Jesus has now been, his disciples have been with him for over a year. And there's all of these rumors out there about, you know, just what Jesus' true identity was. And so, you know, he goes to his disciples and says, who do you guys say that I am? You know, am I just a good teacher? Am I just a prophet? Am I just a healer? Right? And Peter stands up and says, you are the Messiah. And, and he nailed it. I mean, he got it exactly right. But Jesus says, yes, okay, <laughs> But then we see this first announcement by Jesus right after that of his impending death. He tells them, I've got to go to Jerusalem and suffer and die. To which Peter stands up and says, no. (laughs) 
You will never do that. I'll never let that happen. Not on my watch, right? And Jesus fires back and says, well, get behind me, Satan. Because you still don't understand what I'm trying to accomplish here. You still don't get my way of going about saving the world. You only see things partially, and you need a second touch of healing. And I can really connect with Peter here in this story, um, because I think that there has been and will continue to be areas where I have limited clarity about what it really means to be a follower of Christ. I mean, I've been following Jesus since I was 16, so we're going on 30 years And I still feel like I am blind in so many ways. I mean, one way, I mean, I got three examples. One way off the top of my head is that I don't think I have any clue about the holiness of God. Of who it is that I'm praying to, worshiping, trying to live my life for. Just how holy this God is. How great he is. Sometimes I don't think I have the first clue about the depth of my sinful nature and how much my thoughts, actions, and words are an offense to my Heavenly Father and how much pain they cause other people in my life. Sometimes I feel like I still have a very limited understanding of what it means to really lay my life down and to put Him first before anything else in this world, especially in an American culture that we live in. I think that's very tough. And so I know that I am still blind in so many ways. And I think the thing that probably upsets me the most about that idea is how okay I am with that blindness. Because if I'm honest, I kind of fear clarity. Right? Because if I get really clear about what I'm supposed to be doing and how I'm supposed to be living and who God is and all that stuff, I know that I'll have to live and operate differently. And there's a part of me that's just kind of like, yeah, I'll just keep a little bit of the blindness, you know? Seeing people as big trees, that's not a big deal. I can live with that, you know? There's another account of healing of a blind man that takes place in Mark 10. And like I said, these two stories kind of act as bookends between um, these interesting conversations that are happening. So in Mark eight thirty one, we already saw the first account of, of Jesus telling the disciples, hey, I'm going to Jerusalem to die on the cross. That's what, how this is going to end. And if you were to keep reading in Mark eight thirty four, you would see Jesus' kind of famous proclamation that says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross And follow me. And so, in other words, he's saying to them, to follow me means to lay your life down too. This isn't just what I'm doing, this is what I'm asking all of us to do. And so, Jesus is making it very clear here to his followers following me means going to the cross as well. Every day in your heart and the way that you operate, it's laying yourself down, your will, your desires for his. Very clearly, trying to make that point come across. So let's skip ahead to chapter 9 and look at verse 30. It says this, they left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him 
and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. Well, at this point, I don't know that it isn't that they don't really understand as much as they just didn't want to believe that this was how it was going to happen. Probably kind of like the way that I like to cling to this idea that there's another way to follow Jesus besides laying my life down, right? I'd love for there to be some other way that that could happen, right? That I could be a follower of his but not really have to die to myself. There's got to be a loophole in there somewhere and we we cling to these things, right? Because it just isn't what we want to hear, So what kind of a conversation boils up after Jesus, for the second time, says, this is what's going to happen? Okay, let's look at verse 33. It says, they came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet, because on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last in the servant of all. I mean, holy smokes, who's the greatest? How does Jesus keep us cool here? <laughs> and you know, it's easy to kind of shake our heads at the disciples if we weren't so blind ourselves, right? So we're going to have a moment of complete honesty here this morning, okay? So... What do we do, what do you do, that you know, you've read Jesus say these things in the Bible, you've known it for years, but you do it anyways, regularly, maybe even this morning. Let's hear it. Let's go. Let's find out just how messed up we really are at Wellspring. (laughs) Who wants to start the bidding? Yes. Judging other people. Excellent. Yes. What else? Yes. Jealousy of what others have. Yep. Come on. What else? Yes. Worrying about tomorrow, tomorrow, right? Not supposed to do that. What else? Yes. Gossiping. Yes. Yes. You eat when you're not hungry. You You are a glutton, Phil. (laughs) Yes. Fear? Yeah. What else? Come on, this is easy. This is the easiest question you'll ever be asked. I curse. You curse? On occasion. Oh, man. This is too much. Maybe we need to stop. We've crossed the Rubicon, right? So, yeah, I mean, gosh, I could go on and on with the list. I mean, selfishness, pride. I mean, God opposes the proud, right? I'm really prideful and arrogant. And, you know, in humility, consider others better than yourself. I consider myself better than a lot of people, right? (laughs) Several of you in here this morning. I'm just kidding. I mean, you know, forgive one another. You know, I mean, Jesus is so clear about how much he hates unforgiveness, I mean, detest it. But all the time we harbor it against people, right? So forget like a second healing touch. 
Sometimes I feel like I need like a five thousandths healing touch to get more clarity on just how blind I am to my own sin, right? So at this point, we're thinking Jesus has made his point, right? I mean, he said it twice. They ought to be able to get it, right? Well, let's see. Let's skip ahead to chapter 10, verse 32. He says, they were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the 12 aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Broken record, right? I mean, actually, Jesus is really being a good leader here. Because in all the studies that, that you look at, at how many times you have to communicate vision to people before they start to get it, the studies show about the seventh time that you communicate something to someone, they, they start to figure it out. So about the time as a leader you're sick of talking about it, the people are just starting to get it, right? And that's why people don't get it, because we get sick of talking about it before they get it. Right? Because we're like, oh my gosh, how many times do I have to say the same thing? So that's at least three times now that Jesus has told them very clearly what his mission is all about and where this is leading. So I bet the next conversation is going to be the one like where the light bulbs go on and they get it all together, right? Let's look at verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup or drink, uh, I drink, or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink. Be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. What he means is like suffer the same death. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom... They have been prepared. I mean, hadn't we just read in chapter 9, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. Yes, but can we have the best seats in your kingdom? I mean, Jesus is so patient with us, folks. I honestly don't know how he does it, right? So after this initial story of progressive healing of the blind man in chapter 8 and all the conversations and misunderstandings, continued partial clarity that we've looked at in chapters 8, 9, and 10, we arrive at this second story that, that kind of ties all of this narrative together, okay? So let's take a look at uh, and see what God wants us to learn, starting in, in verse 46, chapter 10. It says this, Then they came to Jericho, as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. 
Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. So what do you guys notice in this story of healing? What, what stands out to you in that account? Yeah, Gigi? His, his request? Oh, persistent. Yes, yes, yes. So his persistence, okay? Yes. They kept trying to keep him quiet. He keeps coming back. Yeah. What else? Yeah, Will? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just the, the, the crowd that was there, like, not sure what their deal was, right? He's calling out to him. He's like, no, you know, Jesus doesn't have time for you. So, yeah, interesting response by the disciples. What else, Renee? Okay. Even though Jesus already knew what he wanted, he wanted him to say what he wanted. Okay? That's good. That's good. Um, I, there were several things that jumped out to me. One of the things that I noticed was that he asked the blind man the same question that he just asked James and John. Right? What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? They answered, make us famous, right? Well, he said, I want to see. He didn't ask him anything about, you know, make me more powerful. Give me the best seat in the house. Give me my dream job, my, my dream house, my dream vacation, my dream guy or girl. Help, help my kids to stay healthy and be okay. My life to work out and be more comfortable. No, he said, I want to see. Is that what we want? More than anything. First, we have to admit that we're blind, right? Bartimaeus knew he was blind. Stevie Wonder knows he's blind. But most of us walk around with this illusion that we see things better than we really do, right? Some of us suffer from this good person syndrome where we feel like, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty good guy or gal. And, and most of the time, I really try to, to do what's right, especially compared to these people over here, Right? But that slight bit of, of arrogance and pride is just unbelievable blinder to us that we don't even realize. So are we willing to begin by admitting that we don't understand and see near as much as we think we do? Could we be that humble this morning? Another thing that stood out to me and somebody mentioned was that the way he shouted and cried out, have mercy on me. Jesus, have mercy on me. He understood that he was in need, that there was nothing that he could do to fix his own problem, that he needed help. 
And he was persistent, like we mentioned, right? People tried to shush him up, right? And he just keeps coming back louder and louder. Help me. He was desperate to see. Charles Spurgeon had a great quote on this scene. He says, cold prayers never win God's ear. Draw your bow with your full strength if you would send an arrow up to heaven. So if you're going to fire something out of God, like don't just give it one of those wimpy, you know, I think about like Kip from Napoleon Dynamite. You know, if he was going to draw a bow, it'd be like, you know, one of those deals. He's like, you know, Rex Quando that bow back, right? And let her fly. If you're going to say something to God, if you're going to pray, if you're going to go to him, man, be specific. Let him know exactly what it is you want to see him do. Don't send wimpy prayers up to heaven. Spurgeon goes on to say, I think God gets bored with those kinds of prayers. He's like, come on, man. Do you know who you're dealing with here? Bring it on. And all the time, God is asking us, what do you want me to do for you? Because he's, at his core, he's a father, a good father, right? And we're his children, just like all of us, or, you know, those of us that have kids, we're, we want to do something for our kids. We'd love for them to come to us and say, Hey, Dad, I need you to do something for me. What do you want me to do for you? How would you answer that question? What, what prayer would you offer up to God if he said, what do you want me to do for you? More than we want our circumstances to change, do we truly want to see? Do we want clarity in who God is, who we are in Christ what he's called us to in this crazy world that he's placed us into, we desire that more than anything. And finally, I noticed that after being healed, it says Bartimaeus followed Jesus. And he actually gave him permission. If you read it, he says go, which means, you know, go live your life. Go do whatever you want to do. No obligation to follow me. But after getting his sight, Something kind of clicked with Bartimaeus. Is like, I don't want to gaze upon anybody else in this world besides Jesus. And that was saying a lot because Jesus was in his last days and he was going to Jerusalem to die. And so Bartimaeus was following that train, which that was a tough choice. You see, because there's many people throughout the Gospels that Jesus healed that didn't follow him. And they were just kind of okay with that partial clarity of the physical healing may they might have gotten while spiritually kind of stumbling around the rest of their life with kind of blurred vision, never fully understanding the purpose behind their healing or all that they could have been if they would have followed Christ. And as we come to the communion table today and kind of wrap up um, our time, Jesus is asking each one of us, what do you want me to do for you? And he's hoping that we'll give him a better answer than just some kind of a, an adjustment or a change to our present circumstances that's going to alleviate maybe some temporary discomfort you might be feeling right now. And might I suggest that we all take the posture of the blind man this morning and say, to God, what I really want more than anything is that I want to see. This past summer, we spent some time looking at the prayers of Paul in Scripture. 
And one of the prayers that he prayed that I love the most was in, in Ephesians chapter one. You put that up there, it says this. <clears throat> he prays for the church in Ephesus. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. So what he's saying is that those things are true As followers of Christ, you have hope and power and all those things inside of you. But he's saying, I pray that God would open your eyes so that you would know it. So that you could see what's already there in you. That you don't need to chase after these other things of the world any longer. Everything you're looking for is here and found in Christ. He prayed that they would see. In first century Followers of Christ had plenty of things to worry about. Persecution, death, you know. But he didn't pray for any of their circumstances to change. He said, God, I want them to see. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your desire is to make things more clear for us. And thank you just through these examples and these stories Um, of just how you continue to kind of come back to us and cast vision again and again and again. I even think about just like your, the prayer that you taught us, the Lord's Prayer, you know, and you say, give us this day our daily bread. Every single day we need to come to you to be reoriented, to help us to see what it is that you want us to do, who you are, who you've created us to be, what our mission is that day. We need daily reminders because left to ourselves, God, we will ask and demand the same stupid things that the disciples did. Make me great, you know, make my circumstances better, bless me, whatever it might be. Thank you for the the humble blind man that just said, Lord, I just want to see And that when he did get his vision, all he wanted to do was follow you. God, give us that kind of a heart. As we take some time in silence this morning, um, God, just speak to us. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your patience for us.